0: Well good morning everyone. My name is Jay. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life and if you are new to us I just want to make sure you know that we are one church that meets in now three different locations here in Gahanna as well as our campus in Whitehall and our newest campus out east in the Blacklick, Pataskala, Reynoldsburg area, currently meeting at Licking Heights High School. But we've been in a series about whatever happened to baby Jesus. You know, during this time of the year, we celebrate the incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh, Jesus coming as a baby. J.R.R. Tolkien, the writer of the Lord of the Rings, he said this, he said, the incarnation of God is an infinitely greater thing than anything I would dare to write. So even Tolkien said, I couldn't even imagine writing such an amazing story. And certainly at this time of the year, we celebrate Jesus entering into our world. But you know, for a lot of people, That's where we kind of leave Jesus, is there in the manger. And so in this series, we wanted to focus especially on what the Bible had to say about Jesus after he grew up. Looking at different pictures of who Jesus was and is. And uh, today, we want to focus on Jesus, the shower of mercy. If you haven't done so already, there is a message notes that has the passages that we will look at as well as some white space that you can fill in some thoughts if you desire to do so. But we want to look at Jesus the mercy shower and we see an excellent example of this in the encounter that Jesus has with a woman in John chapter 8 that Janet just read to us. And so I want to kind of work my way through that passage I have for you there from the New International Version. And so if you just want to follow along, I'll make some thoughts as we go along and interject some of these other verses too. But beginning in John chapter 8, the first verse, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, that's just outside of the city of Jerusalem. And that was a common place for people to stay, to camp out overnight. And so Jesus did so at the Mount of Olives there. And then it says at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Remember, Jesus was a rabbi and this is what rabbis did. They came to the temple. They went in the outer courts. There was a large area. It wasn't just Jesus. Other rabbis did the same thing. And uh, as people would gather around them, When it seemed like they had a good crowd, they would sit down and teach. That's what rabbis did, and that's what Jesus was doing as people gathered around him. But on this particular occasion, in verse 3, it says, And the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher... This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now what John does here in telling us this story is he juxtaposes Two things here against each other. He juxtaposes a guilty woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. She was guilty. It juxtaposes a guilty woman with an even more guilty group of religious leaders who were caught in the web of their self righteousness and hatred. They hated Jesus because he had messed up their system. You see, they found their identity in posturing themselves as better than the other people. They had created a performance culture and they, because they performed better than anyone else, were at the top of the heap of that performance culture. See, they were walking around claiming to be such godly individuals, but really, they were in it for themselves. They were in it for the acclaim. They were in it for the fanfare. And Jesus, rather than lauding them, all throughout the the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see, he's constantly not lauding them. He's calling them out. And so they didn't like that. Jesus was gaining more and more influence, and there... Um, they were losing theirs, these self-righteous religious leaders, they were losing some of their influence and so they hatched this scheme, this plot, they orchestrated this trap involving this woman. Well the story goes on, partway through verse 6 it said, but Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger." And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up, and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down, and he wrote on the ground. Now, maybe some of you, like me, have wondered often, what the heck was Jesus writing on the ground? Well truth is it doesn't tell us so the best we can do is just conjecture we don't know the Bible doesn't tell us for sure but I think we do get a clue as to what was going on back in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah so let me talk to you back in Jeremiah 17 you've got it there in your notes it'll be on the screen as well but in Jeremiah 17 we read this verse 13 It says, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. And those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. Because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Now, there's a couple phrases in there we'll keep coming back to here. But but what I want you to see here is by writing on the ground here in John chapter 8, what Jesus was doing is he was hinting back for them to this Old Testament passage. That just a few verses prior to this encounter, in, in at the end of chapter 7, look, look at what happens there. This is just, just a couple verses before we get to what we read in John 8. It says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and he said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And how the people understood what he was saying. He's proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. and They understood that. It says, just a couple verses later, verse 40, it says, on hearing this word, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet, and others said he is the Messiah. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was claiming on the last day of the festival, he was claiming, hey, I am the spring of the living water. I am the one that was prophesied about. I am the one you've been looking for. I am the Messiah. See, back in Jeremiah, Jeremiah had foretold of the coming of Messiah. And here in John chapter 8, the story that we're looking at, Jesus, what he's doing here is he hints back to this passage in Jeremiah to basically shame these religious leaders as the ones who missed it. He was accusing them of letting their self-righteousness blind them to what was right in front of them. Now, self-righteousness does that, doesn't it? It blinds us to what's right in front of us. There's a story about an Air Force Colonel who was the Inspector General for the troops and he called on this particular day, he called everyone together. He especially was very much a stickler on the presentation of your uniform and as he went through and inspected the men, he saw an airman there and he said, who uh, had a button unbuttoned, and he said, Airman, what do you do when a shirt pocket is unbuttoned? Poor little startled Airman just kind of froze there, and and finally he said, button it up, sir. The colonel just stared at him, and he says, well, and finally after a long pause, the airman reached over and buttoned up the shirt pocket of the colonel. You see, his, his, his focus on the airmen caused them to miss the fault in himself. That's what self-righteousness does to us, doesn't it? And it's what was going on. Jesus was calling out these religious leaders for their self-righteousness in missing the spring of living water that was right in front of them. And he did so by writing on the ground, causing them to... Many of these religious leaders, they would memorize the whole Old Testament. They knew this passage in Jeremiah. Jesus was pointing them back that they were the ones who had missed him, the the Messiah, the spring of the living one. Their their self-righteousness, their arrogance, their sense of superiority had caused them to miss that. And so in verse 9, it says, At this... Those who heard him began to go away one at a time. The the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman who was still standing there. And then Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one sir she said and so then neither do I condemn you Jesus declared go and leave your life of sin it's just Jesus and the woman and what she's expecting is judgment but instead Jesus shows her mercy Now, it's important in this story that you notice that Jesus doesn't say, hey, listen, just go on back. Let's pretend like this never happened. Just resume your sinful lifestyle. You know, we'll just pretend this didn't occur. That's not what happened. Showing mercy isn't saying that sin doesn't matter. It does matter. But what mercy says is I'm not going to give you what your sin deserves and so Jesus doesn't condemn nor does he condone but instead he shows compassion he shows this woman mercy now let me talk for just a minute about the difference between mercy and grace certainly they're first cousins they go together a lot but they're not the exactly the same thing. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, while mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Mercy doesn't give us what we deserve. Grace gives us what we don't deserve on top of that. See, a lot of us think that mercy is just saying it doesn't matter. Hey, God loves you. So just go on and do what you please. God's going to forgive you. But Jesus doesn't give us that option. See, a lot of us say, well, what we want is mercy from God. But the truth is, what we really want is permission. See, permission to sin. Permission to do as I please. Permission to do what I want. See, we want our guilt removed so that we can do what we please. But the removal of guilt is what comes from grace. And grace, getting what we don't deserve, requires repentance. See, this woman is guilty. Dead to right guilty. And justice demanded her stoning. She was caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, there were witnesses. The law required stoning for the sexual sin of adultery. Now, time out here, because let's deal with the obvious injustice here, and that is if this woman had been caught in the very act of adultery... The obvious question is, then where's the other person, right? It takes two to tango, last time I checked. But see, that just points what's going on here all the more. See, they only bring this woman because they didn't care about justice. Their concern wasn't righteousness. This was a trap. Their only concern was in discrediting Jesus. But for our purposes, I just want to focus on how Jesus deals with this woman who is guilty and legitimately deserves judgment, but instead, Jesus shows her mercy. There's a story of a, of a little boy who had been caught stealing a watermelon. And they brought him before the judge, small town, and the judge said to him, Son, uh, Do you have anything to say for yourself before I sentence you? The little boy looks up at the judge and he says, "Uh, Judge, have you ever stolen a watermelon? There's laughter in the courtroom and the judge stares down at the little boy for a while. And then finally he says, no cross-examination case dismissed. And isn't that what God does to us? Not that he's guilty. He doesn't share in our guilt. But he says, you know what? The question isn't whether you're guilty or not. It's that the case is dismissed. We are guilty. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us falls short. Every single one of us is at fault in disobeying uh, the, the the standards, the righteousness of a holy God. Every one of us are guilty. We've sinned. And Romans chapter six verse twenty three says, "For the wages of sin is death." The cost, the price for our sin is eternal separation from God. It's hell. It's what we deserve, but instead, Jesus extends to us what we don't deserve. And how Jesus handles the situation with this adulterous woman, to me, just reveals so much. The way he shows compassion. His level of sensitivity. Again, mercy doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter only that jesus doesn't give us what we deserve he he doesn't give this woman what we what she deserved and i think there's something to be gleaned here about how we can operate with the biblical ethos and yet still show mercy toward the sin of others because you see people with a free will have the right to disobey god don't they And they will use that right. And what we know is that all sin, all disobedience leads to consequences. It leads to death, not only eternal spiritual death, but the slow gradual death, the the outlaying of negative, bad, hell-pleasing results as we sin. But here's what's key, I think, is that even though I know that, I don't work in the consequence department you see that's somebody else's job only God gets that job right it's above my pay grade and so I love people I show mercy to them certainly I warn them I mean, that was the job of all of those prophets throughout the entire Old Testament. Over and over and over and over and over and over again, God would raise up prophets who would warn the people, hey, if you keep disobeying God, there's going to be consequences. And so yes, we speak up for God's perspective that righteousness is always God's way, that God's way is always the best way But I do so with compassion. I do my best to love people right where they are. Despite their sin, I grant them mercy, listen to this, in hopes that they'll take advantage of receiving God's offer of grace. And certainly as I warn Certainly as I speak up for God and what God's ways are, I I, I do so without any sense of self-righteousness, without any sense of superiority, because, you see, all that I have in my right standing before God is purely on the merit of Jesus and zero on the merit of me. And so with humility I come. That's why I love what Bob Goff says. I put the quote there in your notes. He says this, He says, those of us who are Christ followers, we're following a God that we can't see for a lifetime we can't measure to an eternity we can't comprehend because of grace we didn't earn. But it's difficult, often it is, to walk in this balance of speaking up for God and God's ways While showing love and mercy to those around us isn't it? it's difficult sometimes and I think Jesus's example in this story is a picture of the right balance of what we need to strive to do of walking in that balance of not condoning but neither do we condemn we love people we are showers of mercy let me ask you in light of that Is there someone in your life who maybe needs to be shown more compassion from you? In fact, maybe look at it this way. Think of yourself, self-examination time. On the spectrum, are you more the kind of person who's quick to show righteousness or to show compassion? Some of us who, you know, we just show compassion, show compassion. You know, we, we need to learn to be able to say, you know what, but, but God does have a right way that's better. We, we need to be able to speak up that way. But there's many of us who we're quick to condemn who need to be quicker to love, who need to be quicker to show mercy. Again, let's look at the example of Jesus to to strive after the balance, to be showers of mercy. Now, what's ironic in this story is clearly this. There's only one person in this whole account who had the right to judge, right? It's Jesus. And yet instead of doing so, he shows mercy. Listen, if your image of God is of this dictator in the sky who's just mad at you. If your picture of God is is someone who just can't wait to crack the whip in judgment of you and your sin, you would do well to spend time reading and meditating on this story that, that, that John gives us of Jesus, who is a shower of mercy. Or maybe you're here this morning and, like this woman in the story, you have named yourself with shame and you've written off any chance that you have with God. You know, you've just gone too far. You've just done too much. There's no way God could ever see clear to forgive you. You would do well to spend time meditating on the example of Jesus here because it tells you otherwise. He is a shower of mercy. You see, all of us deserve judgment in hell. The person that all of us should most identify with in this story is the woman. And if you don't, it's because you've been deceived by your own self-righteousness in not doing so. All of us deserve judgment. But instead, Jesus gives us mercy and he offers us grace. Now, maybe there's a couple of us in this room that need to hear this. Because in my experience, i found that for some people, the most difficult they have showing mercy to is themselves. And it's because we look at this and we think, no, 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 not only am I guilty, man, I am the one who brought this on myself. I'm the one who blew up my marriage. I'm the one who messed up my relationship with my kids. I mean, it was me. I'm the one who brought this situation on myself. It was my drinking, it was my drug use, it was my stealing, it was my lying, it was my cheating, it was my deceiving, it was any one of a hundred things. And what I'd say to you is, your guilt is not in question. You're dead to right. You are guilty. You deserve every consequence you've received and more. But you see, mercy is not getting what you deserve. And I would ask you to let God speak that into your heart this morning. And that you would receive and accept that mercy first from Jesus, and then from yourself. And possibly, you're here this morning, and you need to not only receive Jesus' mercy, but you also need to accept his offer of grace. You see, the bad news is that all of us are guilty before a holy God, but the good news, the gospel, the good news is that salvation comes not on the basis of my merit, but on the basis of Jesus' merit alone. And that He died on a cross. To be able to show us mercy and to be able to offer us grace. To give us forgiveness. To be able to have a right standing before God. To be adopted as a son or daughter of the most holy God. Imagine that. Only through the shed blood of Jesus if we will come with nothing in our hands. I'm not earning this. I can't. There's nothing I'm going to do to make me worthy of it. There's nothing. I'm guilty. But I come with bended knee, bowing, ready, Jesus, to receive what you did and to accept amazing grace. And so I would just say, if that's you this morning, if you're not sure that you've taken up that offer that Jesus extends to you, don't leave here this morning without talking to someone so that you know this christmas season that your sins have been forgiven you're in a right relationship with the god of the universe through the shed blood of jesus christ it's only a prayer away we're going to stand in just a moment and we've got prayer team people who will be here on both sides you can come while we're singing and say hey I- I'm not sure that I'm clear on that. Would you help me? They would love to help you with that. Or maybe there's just stuff going on in your life that you know what? You just need someone who would take just a moment to put their hand on their shoulder and help you come before Jesus and just bring whatever that struggle, whatever that trouble is, to help you just bring that to Jesus. You come to these prayer team people while we're, while we're singing. So let's stand and then let me pray for us. Go ahead and stand with me. And let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you, sweet Jesus, that while we deserve justice, while we deserve hell, you not only don't give us what we deserve, you offer us the opportunity to receive so much more through the grace provided by your cross to be in a right relationship with you. Lord Jesus, I pray that wherever this story impacts us, for those of us who have been harsh and judgmental and condemning to others around us, Lord, that we would take a long look at you, Jesus, and instead ask you to change our heart to make us people of mercy rather than people of judgment. Lord, for those of us who... The person we stand in most judgment towards is ourselves. God, give us the grace to offer the same mercy that you ask us to extend to others, to give that to ourselves. Not because we deserve it. <laughs> that ship has long sailed. But because Jesus, you died. So that we can get what we don't deserve. Amazing grace. God, meet us wherever we are, and in this season, this time of the year, speak to us. Give us the wisdom to hear what you want us to hear this morning, and then the courage to respond to that. I pray it in your wondrous name. Amen.